has been made. We don't have to make it again. Very good. So we are living in challenging times. Uh, 2020 was challenging. And I told you all last Sunday, 2021 was just going to get more challenging. And I think the unfolding of this week's events is pointing in that direction, what we have seen. We're, we're living in very, very challenging days. And there are all kinds of opportunities. We looked last week, uh, we're, we're in a series uh, called The Blueprint. We, we want to build God's way. And we're going to be talking about building a lot in this first quarter of the year. And we, we want to build not the way that we think it should be built, but the way that God wants his house built. Amen. It's important. Uh, we need to understand that, that he is the, the great architect. We are uh, just carpenters building here. And there is a blueprint. When, you, when you're on a job site, you've got to refer to the blueprint and build it the way that the architect has designed it. God's got a, a blueprint. It's the word of God, right? The book of Acts gives us a very clear blueprint of what the, what the church is supposed to look like. And we want to build according to his plan. Uh, we labor in vain unless we build the way that he is calling us to build it. Amen? It's God who builds the house. And we're just under carpenters. We're just working and serving at his command. And so we're building this thing according to his plan and purpose. And last week we, we talked about a great burden. Uh, Nehemiah, God, God called Nehemiah and used Nehemiah to go to re Jerusalem and rebuild a city that had been devastated. And it started with a burden. We looked at that. God gave Nehemiah a burden. We talked about that. And the passage that we read uh, was Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4. I don't want to read the whole thing. But I just want to point out, it says that they were, they were in great distress and reproach. I think that's there in verse 3. They were in great distress and reproach. And we can look around at what's going on. There's great distress all around us. And this is a great opportunity. In every season of disruption and inconvenience, we, we can experience a God opportunity. I believe that. God is at work in all of this disruption and all of the chaos and all of this disturbing that's going on. God's working. And we, we need to have our, our minds open and be sensitive to that. I said this at the very beginning of the pandemic when we were in Minnesota at that point. I was covering the church for Pastor Kurt, who was on a sabbatical. And, and we, we jumped into gear. We had to shut, I think it was March 17th. I may be a little off on that day, but somewhere around there. I think that was the Sunday when, when we had to close the church. We gathered our team in, and I, I said to our team and I said to our church that next Sunday that the, the bend in the road isn't the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. There are things in life that are unexpected, but they don't have to devastate us if we'll just kind of make the turn, right? Uh, somebody said, blessed are the flexible for they won't be been out of shape. <laughs> if you fail to make the turn, your, your fender's gonna be busted up. But God, I believe in all the, the midst of this chaos and the things that are going on, he's redirecting us. He's, he's changing some things that needed to change in the church. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. And we, we've been waiting for a Holy Spirit outpouring. We've been talking about it. We've been prophesying it. You know, been declaring it, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. There, there really is no lack of Holy Spirit outpouring. God, God is not holding back. He hadn't shut off the tap. The Holy Spirit's available, right? It's not a matter of availability. What we're missing is our possession of a capacity to receive what God's wanting to do. We're, we're so full. That's, we, we spent the whole month, and I, uh, uh, last month in December, talking about generosity, about pouring out. We, we've got to empty ourselves so God can pour in. That was one of the, the points that we made. And I want to thank you guys. You guys have responded so well. I've had so many people come up 
That's, that's kind of, that can be a nerve-wracking thing to preach on money. It makes everybody nervous. But I have had so many people come up and encourage me and tell, them, tell me how that, that series has impacted them, and I'm grateful. I've, I've had, I don't know how many people say, come up to me and say, I didn't tithe before, and we're going to start tithing right now. And so thank God for that response to God's word. Amen? It's important that we respond to God's word. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. When God's word speaks to us, we need to do it. And so I'm thankful for the response. But we, we need our capacity expanded to receive what God wants to do. We need our understanding expanded. Hopefully we can do some of that today, expanding our mind to understand what God wants to do. We're going to talk about a great vision this morning. And I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to stand up on the inside of us, and he wants to, to work in us, and he wants to work through us, and we're going to be, you, you guys, not, not this guy, you guys are going to be doing things that you never anticipated that you would be doing in 2021 for God and for his kingdom. I'll be a part of it. But God wants us to do some new things this year. God wants to grow us. God wants to expand us. So let's, let's talk. We're going to talk about great vision and great provision this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2. I want to begin to read here in verse 11. This is my first text. I'm going to preach too many sermons. One kind of short one, one really short one at the end. So here's text number one. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me, only a few men, right? You, you, you need to, you, some things you got to keep small, right? When, when God begins to speak to you, you don't need to tell everybody. We're going to see this. He said, I told no one what, God, my, what my God had put in my heart to do. Sometimes you just have to sit on things. Sometimes there's some things you only want to share with some very key people, maybe some mentors, some Spiritual fathers, some people that can speak the wisdom of God into that situation and circumstance. You need to hold it and not share it because not everybody's going to understand it. But he said, I, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one that I rode on. And I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. And then I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under, under me to pass. So I, it, it had been so destroyed that he couldn't get through the gate. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had, told, I had, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And I said to them, you, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. And they, they said, let us rise up and build and then they set their, their hands to this good work. So they began to do the work of rebuilding the city, the walls of, of Jerusalem. So just a little bit of context. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you uh, the, the, the cart before the horse this morning. This is uh, Nehemiah having arrived in Jerusalem, beginning to survey the city of Jerusalem and all the damage. And uh, in, in the previous chapter, 
uh, the, the previous verses, I should, should say, the previous part of this chapter, he, he actually is in Assyria. Uh, the, 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 the Hebrews are in captivity. He's there. He's serving uh, as a cupbearer in the court of the king. He's in a great position of authority. And the, through, through this situation, God sets him up, and the king recognizes and, and speaks to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah says, I've got a burden for my, my people, for my city, for Jerusalem, which lies in ruins. And, the, and the, the king actually extends provision. We're going to talk about that at the end. The, the king extends to Nehemiah provision to go and rebuild those dilapidated, deteriorated, destroyed walls around that city. And not only does he give him permission, he gives him the provision. We're going to talk about that at the end, to go and rebuild the city. So this is Nehemiah. He is surveying Jerusalem. He's looking at this city, which is in ruins. What did Nehemiah see when he surveyed the rubble of Jerusalem? I mean, put yourself in that the picture of seeing this great city in ruins. And just imagine the devastation. Imagine the broken down walls that Nehemiah would have, would have seen. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. That's a pretty powerful statement. If we don't have control over our own spirit, we're like a city broken down and without walls. In other words, if, if you don't have control over your spirit, the enemy can come into your life and wreak havoc. He can attack you without restraint. He can provoke. He can poke. He can steal. He can do whatever he wants to do because there is no defense to his attack. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We can't control our spirits. Have you ever tried? You can't control your appetites in your flesh. It's, it's a, a fruitless endeavor when we set out to do that. But the Holy Spirit can give us control. It, it, and so I, I, want, I want you to understand this. When we talk about rebuilding, we're not just, re-talking, we're not just talking about the church. We, we, we will be focused on building the church. But this is also, there, there's great application in this for our lives. Amen? We need to understand that God also wants to rebuild our, our life, our walk, right? Our hearts. He wants to restore some things in our lives. And so God wants to rebuild some walls in our lives. My wife has some tremendous teaching that she does about the boundaries and the importance of boundaries and how that brings protection and security and great things for your life whenever those boundaries, those markers are in place. The walls are important. And if our walls aren't strong, we are vulnerable. And this is a city, Jerusalem, that is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Also, he sees these burnt gates. He speaks in this passage to a gate he comes to. He can't even pass through it because it's so devastated. The gates have been burnt. Gates are entry points, Right? They, they speak of authority in the Bible. Absalom went to the gates. Why? Because the, 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 one who, the ones who had authority in the community met at the gates. The gates speak of authority. Who, whoever controls the gates controls the city. It's an important thing. They're important things. So this is what Nehemiah is seeing. He's seeing broken down walls, burnt gates. He's got this in, in view. And to me, it speaks about a dysfunctional, in, in where we are today, a dysfunctional church. There are things that are broken down and things that have been burnt and devastated in the church that I believe God wants to restore. 
Larry, Larry Stockstill, uh, in his book, The Remnant, he talks about the five dysfunctions of the church. He says, number one, we are unfathered. Number two, we're uncorrected. Number three, we're unfruitful. Number four, we're unhealed. And number five, we are untaught. The powerful thing about this is he gives the five solutions. You know what they are? They're all found in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says that Jesus gave us gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the, perfecting of this, for the equipping of the saints, for the perfecting of the church. There's two very key words there, equipping and perfecting. The word equipping in, in the Greek, it's, it's the word katartismos. This is a powerful word, katartismos. It's where we get our, our English word from the Greek word katartismos. We get our English word craftsman. David Fisher is a craftsman. He is a, he's a fine trim carpenter, right? He is a, he is a very skilled craftsman. This is the picture that we get with this word katartismos, but it has deeper meaning. This, if, when you really study this in the Greek, it's, this is what the, the word katartismos means. It means setting in order a city which had been torn apart by factions or schisms. It's the process of restoring that city to its original beauty. And this is what we call katartismos. Katartismos is a construction term. And he says that he's given us these fivefold ministries for the equipping, for the catartismos, for the rebuilding and beautification of the saints of God. And then he says, for the perfecting of God's church. That word perfecting in the Greek, it's oikotomy, another construction term. How many of you know that God is in the construction business? God wants to rebuild his people. God wants to rebuild his church. And I don't know if God wants to rebuild the, the, the nation. I don't know. I really don't. Maybe God is done with the United States of America. I'm, I'll tell you the truth. I'm honestly not concerned with it. Because the church went through Rome. The church went through Greece. The church has gone through all these rise and falls of nations, and it's still standing. And when the United States folds up, the church will still be here. If that happens before Jesus comes back. We've got to get our eyes on the, the, the right kingdom and get our, our hearts in the right battle. So just a little bit of encouragement for you. This, that's where I stand. If you want to know where I stand and what's going on in America today, that's where I stand. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Amen. We, we're living in a changing world. We're seeing it politically. We're seeing it in so many different ways. We're seeing changing societies. We're seeing changing attitudes. We're seeing changing technologies. The world is changing. We've got to, we've got to get a hold of that. Every single year, 8 million people move to the city. I'm sorry, every single week, 8 million people move to the city. The, church is, or the world is becoming more, more urban People are drawn to the city. Work is there. Uh, commerce is there. So many different things. So people are in, in this world that we live in today. There is a, a mass exodus from the countryside. People are moving to cities. Sociologists have had to invent a whole new vocabulary to describe the changing city. From village to city to Dian Dianapolis to metro metropolis to dynametro... I can't even say them. Dynametropolis to megalopolis to dynamegalopolis. These are super cities. These are actually words, terms that sociologists are using today to describe the cities of the world. Most cities are contained within a single county. 
but we have now these, these uh, uh, cities that they encompass multiple counties. Los Angeles, uh, California encompasses five counties. So what, what's the point? The world is changing. Is the church changing as the culture changes? We have changing attitudes. We're, we're at a danger point in the United States of America. We're, we're seeing an expansion of radical Islam. And we're seeing a, deflect, a, 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 a contraction, rather, of Christianity in the United States of America. This is fact. This is fact. I, I shared this with you before. And I think it's 97% of the nations, 97 or 98%, yeah, 97% of the nations on planet Earth, Christianity is growing faster than the population. The new birth rate is exceeding the birth rate in 97% of the nations on planet Earth. But the United States of America is in the 3%. The church is growing slower than our population. We're, we are at a danger point. We are at a point of deflection. What's going to happen in the United States of America? I don't know, but I know that it's changing. And we, the church, have got to change with it in order to be ready to meet the response of whatever happens in the United States of America. We have a problem in America. We want America to experience a national awakening. However, we got Christians that are angry about it, and at the same time, they're untroubled about the fact that we're not Christ-like. It's what my liberal friend on social media was screaming in her post this morning when she was talking about what she saw in the Christian world. She was talking about a social media platform that was full of Christians and full of pornography. It's the liberals or the world screaming at us that we've got a problem. We've got a problem. We've got changing technologies. You think about it, there, there are so many social media platforms being developed right now, we can't even keep up with them all. I, I don't even know all the names of them. I can't even... Remember, I, I go back to the MySpace days. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Somebody said President Trump was trying to figure out he couldn't remember his password to MySpace. <laughs> but you think about this, YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and MeWe and so many I can't even remember these days. The world's changing. Zoom meetings. I don't know how many Zoom meetings I went on in 2020. I'd be happy if I never had to go on another Zoom meeting again. But the reality is our world is changing. The question is this, will the church be ready with a response to this change? Or will we be left behind? Will we miss the divine opportunity that's in this moment to do what I believe God wants to do? What, what does revival look like in the, the industrialized super cities. What does uh, a revival look at like in the information age? Things are going to be different. That's all I know. We, we're, we're praying to get back to the norm. I, I honestly don't want to get back to the norm. I mean, yeah, I, I want to get away from wearing masks again. I want to go to the store without a mask in my face. I look forward to that day, yes. I look forward to the day when this virus is behind us. But I don't want to go back to normal the normal unfruitful life, the normal lull of mediocrity, the humdrums and boredom of what was before 2020. I want to go forward in new things that God has. 
Amen? What, what's the church going to look like in the future? I believe the church is going to be a church of impact. I'm going to give you three real quick points. The church that will impact the future will not be led on the strength of individuals. It's going to be led by the strength of teams. There's a great example of this, and we're going to look at Acts a lot in the next quarter. But there's a great example of this in the book of Acts chapter 6. The church was struggling to meet the needs of the community. There were people who they were trying to distribute and take care of the, the, the needy. They were distributing portions of food on a daily basis, and they were falling behind in their efforts to do so. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit moved the apostles to raise up deacons, to form teams, to take care of the administration of those meals. And when that team grew and those men were in place, the Bible says that the word of God went out and the disciples multiplied and increased. Team leadership brings increase in our ministry. That's one thing that I want to point out. It won't matter if Pastor Chad's preaching or Pastor Bill's preaching. Can you imagine in the Bible? Just go back with me and picture this. Somebody living back in the Bible times. I'm not going to go to church tonight. Peter's preaching. I'm going to wait till next week. Pastor James is going to be preaching. I, I, I like his preaching. They, they weren't bothered by who was preaching. You know what mattered? The Holy Spirit was in the house. Jesus was in the midst and moving. Amen. It's not going to matter who's preaching. It's not going to matter who's leading worship. Jesus is in the house. That's what's going to matter. That's what the church of the future is going to look like. We're not going to be concerned. Let, let, let me check the schedule and see who's preaching this week. Let me see who is my favorite worship leader leading this week. You know that during the Welsh revival, there was no, not a single worship leader. The congregation, a, a song would rise up out of the congregation and they would sing with all of their might. The song would die and fade and another song would rise up and they would sing and with all their might they would worship. There was no man getting glory in the Welsh revival. That, that's why I think it was like, what, I think 1.3 million people or something like that, or some ridiculous, half a million people somewhere in there in, in a matter of 13 months that got saved. Why? Because no man was getting the glory. They were pointing to Jesus. And that's what the church is going to look like. It's not going to be based on an individual. It's not going to be a cult of personality. It's not going to be the celebrity entertainment center. Oh, this new big, fangled, you know, this famous guy's coming, so I'm going to go hear what he has to say. No, Jesus, he's the cornerstone. Number two, the church that, that will have impact in the future will not pray with low expectations. They will be a people uh, with faith to believe that God is up to something big. Amen? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it, it says that they, they devoted themselves to prayer continually. All throughout the book of Acts, one of the most consistent themes in the book of Acts, prayer, prayer, prayer. Why are we forming prayer teams? Because we've got to have prayer to, to undergird the work that God wants to do in this day. We've got to be a praying people, all of us. I'm going to call the church, everybody listening to me, I want to challenge you in the next 10 days, would you please fast for one day? Or if you're so bold, fast for three days. I've challenged all of our leaders in a 14-day period over the next two weeks. I've challenged our leaders in this house. On Thursday night when we met, I challenged them to fast for three days during this 14-day uh, period. So over the next 10 days, would you join us in that? Would you, would you take at least one day and fast? If you'll do that, just wave your hand at me. If you'll take a day or if you'll take three or two or something, just commit to fast with us. Take a day to fast, and it's not a, it's not a hunger strike. It's not a diet is set yourself to seek God. Set yourself to get in the Word. Set yourself to pray. 
Amen. How many of you want to see something different than what we've had? How many of you don't want church as usual? How many of you don't want this thing to be just a social club, but we want the power and the demonstration of God's spirit working with us? That's what it's got to be about. Number three, the church that will have impact in the future will not be confined to the four walls. They're going to be a people who embody their faith and live it out loud everywhere that they go every single day. If you want an example of this, just go look at the entire book of Acts. I hear people ask all the time, why, why don't we see the miracles that we used to see in the scripture or yeah, in, in times past or in the scriptures? You know, I, my response to that is when I hear it, is I say it's because we, we're not doing what they did in the Bible. We expect everything to happen at 435 Eastern Boulevard. Let's bring him to the pastor so he can minister to him. No. The, the, the miracles that I see happening in this book, you open the book of Acts, it happened in people's homes. It happened out on the streets. It happened at the steps of the temple. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. That's why we saw miracles is because they lived this thing out. They embodied their faith and lived it out every single where that they went. I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole message tonight or this morning. Let's move on. What, what do we need to see happening in the church. I'm gonna give you five things really quick, hopefully really quick. If not, I'm gonna cut this message in half and preach the other half next week. Number one, benevolence ministry. We, we need to be about benevolence ministry. We need to be helping, about helping people that are in need, taking care of people's needs, looking in every way that we can to serve people. Amen? I commend Pastor Bill and his heart for the work that he does over in Portland. I commend Ted Edgel, the work that he does, working along with and his wife, his beautiful wife, and that team that goes and serves week in and week out on Thursday nights. I'm planning to go. I'm going to take a friend this Thursday night who's interested in the ministry. I'm planning to be there this Thursday night. I commend the Craigs and the work that they do every Monday in our clothes closet. Amen? May God inspire more of us to rise up and start more endeavors to meet the needs of this community. There are all kinds of hurting and needy people all around us. We need to be stepping up and meeting needs. May God inspire us and give us inspiration to, to, re, to, to reach more people and meet more needs in this community. Number two, we, we need a, 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 an awakening and a revival in the area of discipleship. That's why we're doing these life groups. We've got life group training. If, you, if you're interested in leading a life group, come. It's not, you, might, you missed last week, but it's not too late. I can get you caught up. I've got a video you can look at, and we'll get you caught up. So come after church. If you're interested in being a life group leader, you don't have to commit your whole life. You don't have to commit a whole year. You take six weeks and lead a life group. That's what we're trying to set up, six-week uh, intervals of life groups. And we want people that can lead those life groups. So if you're interested in doing that, if you're interested in learning how to be a disciple maker, that's what we're teaching today after church, 1 o'clock. We're going to teach people, t teach you how to disciple people, how to raise people up, be followers of Jesus Christ. I thank God for what I saw, that the, the title of Bev uh, Futter's class. What is it? It's about the life and teaching of Jesus. That, that's what we need to be about. Amen. We need to be teaching people to follow Jesus. Who was Jesus? Introducing people to Jesus, right? Uh, the, the early church, they, they, they did this. They practiced this. They, 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 they met in, in the synagogue every week, and they met in homes. And the Bible says daily they were teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand that. I, I want to see something happening when we're talking about discipleship. I want to see something coming uh, into this church. We've we got to work and establish this. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort. But I want, I want to start 
catechizing our kids. You're like, whoa, what does that mean? Some of you are like, whoa, we did that at the Catholic Church. I'm not sure about that. Catechisms. We need to catechize our kids. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's actually a biblical term. It comes from a Hebrew word out of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We're all familiar with that in the English. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, right? That word train in the Greek is, is a cousin to the word catechism. It's where that word came from. Catechism, catechism means to train. We need to train our kids. Our kids should not graduate high school without knowing the Ten Commandments without knowing the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, without memorizing verses of, of scriptures out of the Bible, without knowing the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, without, without knowing some basic biblical truth. We need to catechize our kids. We need to lay the foundation of God's word and God's truth in the, in the hearts of our children, amen? So we're gonna strive to disciple our kids. All right, moving right along. Number three, evangelism. I love this quote. I know I've given it before, but I, I got to give it again. Evangelism, this is Elton Trubud. He says, evangelism is not a job for a few men. It is instead the responsibility of every person who belongs to Jesus. Church, we've got to be about evangelizing. Listen to this sad statistic. Every year, there are 2.7 million Christians. That sounds pretty good on the surface. 2.7 million new Christians each year. But when we consider that there are 2.4 billion Christians on planet Earth, this means that for every 888 Christians, there's only one new birth. That's a sad indictment upon the church. That means that 887 of us are not doing our job. How do we multiply disciples? We've got to activate the disciple makers. We've got to be about evangelism. We've got to be about sharing our faith. We've got to activate that in the church again. It, it's a broken down wall in the church. It's got to be restored. So that's number three. Number four, church planting, church revitalization. The most effective way to win souls is actually church planting, church revitalization. It's the most effective way to win souls. I, I've done the, the cold call evangelism, knocking on doors. I've done the street preaching and they can be hard. Boy, you better have tough skin. You better not mind getting the door slammed in your face. It's hard to reach people that way. I, I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying we should, we should be doing that. We should be witnessing in the cubicles at work. But we've got to get about strategically, be about planting churches and revitalizing churches. I've got statistics here somewhere. 3,700 churches every year that close. 50% of those are new, new churches. But think about that, 3,700 churches that close. There are neighborhoods all around this nation that have empty churches, or what I call dinosaur churches. They're about to be extinct. Right? You've got about 15 people meeting every Sunday, very faithful, average age is about 87 years old. Churches on the verge of extinction. Those will be the churches that are closing in the next few years. We, we've got to raise up young leaders and send them into those neighborhoods and revitalize those churches. We've got to plant new churches. The church has got to be, this is a broken down wall in the church that we've got to restore. We've got to begin to rebuild churches. I believe this uh, with everything that's in me. And let me just challenge you, if you're a church planner, 
you better get submitted and you better start preparing because God's going to send you. But let me encourage you. These, these are my big, my big five. I, I, I planted a church and I've helped a lot of people plant other churches and I've learned some lessons, some hard lessons. But here's, here are my five essentials. If you're going to plant a church, you got to have a calling. Don't do it if you're not called. You got to have a covering. Don't do it without somebody that has authority over your life. that can give you guidance, counsel, uh, correction. Number, number three, you need a team. Don't go by yourself. I did that. Just me and my wife, my mom and dad went. They were faithful. We didn't really have a team. I didn't know what I was doing the first time I planted a church. I'm thankful we survived. But don't go without a team. Don't go without strength. In other words, are your finances in order? Is your marriage healthy? Don't plant a church if it's not. Number, number three, we need a heavenly strategy. Not man's plan, but what, what is God saying to do? These are very practical things. We're going to be talking about a lot of very practical things. And we're not just going to talk about it. God wants to activate this in us, his people. Amen? We're not, we are not going back to 2019 church. You know, we're not, we're not going to, you know, you know where we might go back to, if anything, first century. The first century. But we're not going back to 2019. We might go back a couple thousand years, but we're definitely not going back a few years. I don't want to go back there. I want the church to look more like the book of Acts than what it would look like in 2019. Uh, that may just be me, but that, I'm not going back to 2019. I'm not going back to normal. I'm not going back to humdrum. Amen? That's not what I came for. Number five, this is the last one, missions. God wants to rebuild the wall of missions. America used to be the greatest sending nation on planet Earth. Now they're sending missionaries to us. You know what we need? We need a student volunteer movement for foreign missions. This happened back in the 1800s. At the first meeting that they organized, they recruited 100 students, college students, that went to the mission field in their first meeting. In the, in the first year, 2,000 college students pledged their lives to the Great Commission. In 25 years, under the Student Volunteer Movement for Foreign Missions, 20,000 missionaries were sent from the United States to the mission fields. This is the, the modern-day missions movement. You know what I say? Lord, do it again. So I've kind of been hiding something from you guys. Been warming up to you guys. You guys have been getting to know me. Your pastor is absolutely nuts. <laughs> I'm a radical. I know I look kind of reserved and cool and collective. But I'm radical. I've got big plans. God's put big plans on my heart. Amen. Amen. Pastor Bill's the same way. He looks very reserved, but he's got some big plans. Amen. We're going to see some amazing things happen. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and we're going to have to work hard. Let, let me preach my last message here real quick and we'll be done. We're doing okay on time. Here's my last message. I promise it's going to be brief. My text is not brief, but my message is. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. I am going to make it all through this entire message. 
When wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your, your servant has found favor in my sight, I ask that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it ple- check this out. If it pleases the king, let, there, let, be, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of, check this, this is a bold request. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. That's a bold request. Hey, king, thanks for sending me. Will you also open up your storehouses and give me your supplies? Check this out. The king granted him, them to, to me according to the good hand of my God that was upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and the horsemen with me. And when Sambalat and, and the, the Horite and Tobiah the Ammonite the official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Not not everybody's going to be happy when you set out to do the work of God. You're going to have resistance. We will be met with a lot of resistance, I believe, in 2021. But you know what? We've got a letter from the king. Amen. And we've got great provision. We've got great provision. I, I want to, to wrap up with this last thought. God's calling us to some great things. Lift your eyes above the rubble, the ruins, the wreckage, the stones that are piled everywhere, the, burn, the, the gates that are burnt. What did Nehemiah see when he surveyed the city of Jerusalem? Yeah, with his physical eyes, he he did see the devastation and destruction. But in his heart, he saw the blueprint that God had showed him. He saw those walls rebuilt. He had a great vision. Church, we need to get vision for what God's calling us to. We need to get a vision for a restored church, a powerful church, a miraculous church, a soul-winning church, a disciple-making church, a sending church. I, like, I heard this from Rick Warren a long time ago. He said, a church shouldn't be judged on its seating capacity. It should be judged on its sending capacity. I love that. Amen? That's the kind of church I'm ready to see. 
That's the kind of church that I want to experience. Here's my last word of encouragement right here. We've got a, a great calling. We've got a, a great vision that God set before us. He's going he's to bring great provision for it. There's going to be a transfer of wealth. Let me just say this. We're seeing um, these, these big technology companies right now, they're, they're clamping down on our president. It, it, it's an indicator for what's coming to the church. Political messages are being restrained right now. It's going to be the, next, the message of the gospel that will be restrained next. But it's going to backfire. It's going to backfire. And God's going to use the wealth of these wicked companies. God is going to use the wealth of the wicked world to advance his agenda. Assyria paid for the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem. And this world is going to pay for the advancement of the church. It's like the old Pentecostal lady said that the drug dealer brought his money in and they put a large sum, I think it was like $10,000 cash, he put in the offering. And one of, the, one of the, uh, the counters asked, should we take the money? You know what the old Pentecostal lady she said? She said, bless God, give it here. The devil's had it long enough. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 23, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Church, get ready. There's going to be a transfer of wealth. I'm not talking about a transfer of wealth so you can drive. <laughs> Insert your favorite car. An Aston Martin. A Lamborghini. 1967 Stingray. That'd be my dream car. It's not a transfer of wealth so we can live in big houses and we can drive fancy cars and we can wear really nice clothes. This is a transfer of wealth that's coming, I believe, from the world to the church for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's coming. It's coming. God is going to promote his work on the back of the devil. Watch it happen. Let's stand together. I'm finished. I got through my message. All right. Praise God. Praise God. How many of you are excited? Yeah. Amen. How many of you are ready to charge hell with a water pistol right now? How many of you are ready to go to Olive Garden? No? <laughs> good. How many of you are ready to fast? Yeah. That's good. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to have a church excited to fast this morning. How many of you are ready to pray? Yeah. Amen. How many of you are ready to roll up your sleeves and get to this good work? Amen. Praise God. I'm excited about what God has in store for us. Let, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this people. Lord, encourage our hearts. Lord, you have equipped us. You have called us. Lord, we are set here for great purpose. Lord, ready us and send us, Lord God. That, that's our, our heart's cry, Lord God. I pray that as we go out the doors today, as we go into this work week, Lord, that we would be vigilant to preach your gospel, to be used as you see fit, Lord God. Use us. Make us soul winners. Make us disciple makers. Make us uh, a people who are building your kingdom, Father. We thank you for it, and we give you praise for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve Manneke, would you come?